Hey there, you're listening to Filmed in Canada. It's a podcast about Canadian movies. If you enjoy what you hear, go to the iTunes store and leave a review for us. It really helps us get noticed. And if you'd like to continue the discussion, you can check out our Facebook page. Just search Filmed in Canada podcast. And you can also reach us by email at filmedincanada at gmail.com. And feel free to go to our website, filmedincanada.net, for our other content and to leave a comment. Welcome back, listener. This is a uh, limited batch podcast we call Filmed in Canada. I'm William. And I'm Chris. Happy New Year, Chris. Happy New Year, William. Boy, what a holiday that was. Uh, for me, anyway. I mean, hope you uh, are recovering okay. Yeah, I still think I uh, I have nog in my veins. Um, mm. There's just been a lot of nog consumption. So if you cut me now, I would bleed nog. But <laughs> I ain't got way, time to bleed. I think the best way to get it out is uh, with a little rum. Yeah. <laughs> and then jump up and down really quick. <laughs> Barf. Ah, uh, I chose today's movie. So thanks for indulging me. I think you've seen it before. This is my first yeah, time seeing it. Yeah, why did you choose this movie? Today's movie is My American Cousin from 1985. Um, it's a movie that I hadn't seen until now, but in a way it felt like it's always been with me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when did you see My American Cousin? Uh, back in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, the CTRC introduced something called Super Channel. And it was like a like a an, a, an extra pay cable channel, mm-hmm. and it would run uh, early HBO shows, and it would run. I guess because of CanCon, it ran a lot of Canadian feature films. So mm-hmm. I saw My American Cousin, and Bye Bye Blues, mm. and I think some other Canadian features. I'm sorry, I can't remember them right now. So Super Channel, uh, and then it would run. You know, slightly racier movies after 11 p.m. So, you know, if you were staying up, you might catch some side boob or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the so in the 80s, um, your your family subscribed to those services? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. My family didn't because my, my dad was concerned about um, us getting access to too much racy content. Yeah, well. Yeah. But there was a preview channel. Where you could tune to to, to to see like clips from the movies because they're trying to sell Super Channel. This is your trip to Bountiful, right? It is. That's right. So, so when I was bored, I would just tune to the preview channel to see what was what I was missing, right? And I'd see these. Uh, they wouldn't run the trailers. They would just run like a thirty-second clip. And so I saw a lot of clips of my American cousin. Um, and I, I've told you before. That's how I know about my trip to Bountiful. <laughs> But um, which thankfully we don't have to talk about on the podcast because it's not <laughs> Canadian <laughs> and looked really dull. Well, the well the clips of my American cousin when I was uh, whatever age that was um, 11, 12? Yeah. It William's also, giving away secrets tonight. Also looked a little bit dull. It, it um, and so when 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 the protagonist in uh, in this story, when you see in her diary, she she writes uh, her diary entry as like a big page, uh, a big a scribble that that uh, covers the entire page, and it says nothing, nothing happens. Ever here. happens, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, this is the movie I think I'm gonna be into. Uh, this is what I'm in for, I think. <laughs> so 
so there was that. Um, my awareness of it started with that. And then there was the time I um, went to the video store because uh, Revenge of the Nerds had been uh, just released on video, and I had reserved it. And so it got returned. I went to the video store to pick it up, and the clerk said, I think you're not old enough to rent this. Ugh. None of your business, dude. <laughs> Seriously, what are you, my mother? And instead, the clerk said, maybe you'd be interested in My American Cousin <laughs> instead of Revenge of the Nerds. And I was just like, what? So oh, did you just like, did you leave? I left, yes. I didn't, oh. I didn't rent it, yeah. So, <laughs> or maybe my, my friend said I maybe rented something else, right? But uh, so anyway, we were denied Revenge of the Nerds, and, and, and then in turn, we denied My American Cousin. So. That's like saying something like, oh, you can't rent Predator. How about re- you rent Remains of the Day instead? Like those, <laughs> like those two things just don't talk to each other at all. And you're a teenage boy. Mm-hmm. Like at least recommend Fast Times at Richmond High or like something. Or I guess he would think that you're not old yeah. enough for that. I either. think it was a she, but um, oh. yeah, I guess. I, I think they were just going off what was uh, on the box. And I think in those days, I mean, a lot of people weren't really, it, it was harder to be like completely knowledgeable about a movie that had just come out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you had to go by the rating that was on the box, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that, that's, what, that's what happened that time. And then when I was um, at the end of high school, um, I was uh, asking around at some of the local colleges and universities. Um, I was interested, I, I thought at the time, I was interested in uh, studying filmmaking. And so I went to Simon Fraser University, uh, where I, I ended up going later anyway. Um, but um, I went to talk to the recruiter at Simon, U- Simon Fraser University, and I said, I'm interested in filmmaking. And she immediately said, oh, well, have you heard of My American Cousin? Because Sandy Wilson, the director, went to SFU. <laughs> um, so, Boy, and so this, this movie's been haunting me. <laughs> kind of, yeah. So, life. <laughs> <laughs> so I did go to SFU, and um, I studied different things there, uh, including film studies, but I, I didn't major in film studies. Um, but uh, I never... Um, I, I think during my time there, no instructor quoted from My American Cousin. There was instructors who quoted from their own movies, but, but um, not My American Cousin. And, and Sandy Wilson wasn't a, uh, a lecturer there. Um, did you have any... Because you also went to SFU. I did. Um, like, did you feel any of the residual glory from uh, My American Cousin in, in your uh, experience? No, I was too busy reading Milton and Chaucer. Mm, okay. Yeah. No, I wish I'd done something as interesting as film studies. Uh, I just studied English literature, so it was a lot of... It could be a lot of nonsense, things I just wasn't interested in. I don't want to read, you know, Richardson's 500-page novel, Pamela, very dull. So to actually watch My American Cousin would have been a real treat. Would it be mean if I, when I edit this, I just cut you off as at I didn't want to read? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, My American Cousin uh, is a 1985 movie written and directed by Sandy Wilson. Is it is it autobiographical or, mm, or inspired by her? It's just yeah. autobiographical. Yeah. So she grew up in Penticton. It's set in Penticton. Um, it stars uh, Margaret Lang Langridge. Sorry, did you write this down? Yep, Langridge. Lang Lang Langrick. Langrick. That is a hard name to say out loud. Yeah, it looks fine on paper when it <laughs> doesn't. Lang-Rick. For some reason, Lang-Rick. it just tripped up on my yeah. mouth. Sorry, Margaret Langrick. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Margaret Langrick. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
Margaret Langrick plays Sandra Wilcox. So a little, so not too far from Sandy Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the entire cast is Canadian, isn't it? Aren't they? Mm-hmm. Okay, so John so. John Wildman, who plays Butch, the cousin, um, uh, he's from Montreal, and he's still working in TV. Uh, Richard Donnett is from Nova Scotia. He plays the father, Major Wilcox. Uh, Camille Henderson played Shirley Darling, uh, and T.J. Scott played Lenny. So they're the uh, they're the the young couple. Lenny and Shirley. Right, yes, gotcha. Now, I wonder if that is a nod to Laverne and Shirley. I wonder. Because uh, Laverne and Shirley, um, their their friends uh, were Lenny and Squiggy. Right. Right? Hello. Hmm. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, and TJ Scott is also an an active uh, TV director. Um, So the story is about a summer... In the Okanagan, when Butch arrives in his uh, fancy red Cadillac convertible, and he says he's on vacation, but uh, young Sandra has a crush on him, uh, and uh, uh, and Sandra's family runs a cherry orchard, and it's just uh, the summer puttering around the lake. It's a I would put it in the coming of age category for sure. sure. Yeah, um, you know, like a like a Dirty Dancing or. Call Me By Your Name or yeah. any of those other great coming of age, you know, your first sort of, your, the first blush of love, mm-hmm. um, your first crushes, the how y- your parents just seem impossible. Um, so I would put that up there with any great coming of age story. Yeah, yeah. Now, a coming of age story is uh, is one of its narrative characteristics that it, it's kind of about the long summer and kind of like how to how to fill your time. It's not about a mission or an adventure necessarily, right? Right. right. Am I wrong about that? No, that sounds right. Okay. Yeah. Like the ones you mentioned, they're 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 kind of languid as well. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, this is not for a teenage boy. <laughs> it's so not for a teenage boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, Sandy Wilson says. Uh, I think the film catches a wonderful time in a young girl's life when she's curious and doesn't know any better. So. This is my Are You There, God is Me, Margaret. It's not going to be your movie. It's not going to be your Stand By Me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it is quite specific. And I was really surprised how charmed I was by this movie. I thought it would be a little dull, a little earnest, um, wooden acting, you know, the usual things that happen in a Canadian movie. I thought this was an amazing debut. I was absolutely charmed by it. I think I liked it more now than I did in 1985. Hmm. I think in 1985, I I wanted it to be a Hollywood blockbuster. I mean, Canadian movies just don't have the same sheen as a movie made in the States. They always seem a little stagier, a little more like they're shot like a soap opera, like they're videotaped instead of filmed. Like there's something that just doesn't have the sizzle of an American movie. And so when I was 15 or 16 watching it, I wanted it to have that polish that other American movies I was watching had, even if it was like Blue Lagoon or whatever movies I would have been watching as a, you know, young teenager, because Dirty Dancing didn't come out till 87. But watching it again, I was so impressed that this was someone's debut feature. I thought the locations were incredible. I thought 
I thought the acting was a little arch, but then when I realized, oh, the mom's an actress, so that's why she mm-hmm. has this sort of affected voice. And it's the 50s where mm-hmm. I think people talked a little more formally and it sounded a little stiffer yeah, than and, it would, you and know, the parents, time. And the parents, they seem like they're of, they're really seem like they're of an older generation. Absolutely. Uh, than the kids. Because yeah. they're still, there's like a formalism about the way they mm-hmm. present themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? And, uh, and like the father still goes by his military title. Yeah, everyone in the town calls him the major. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then there's like that scene with the grandmother. Um, oh my God. Sandra, can you... Can you please, can I hear you pronounce water? Water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from what I was reading, uh, Wilson really had to fight to get Margaret cast because she was a non-professional actress. But I thought uh, there was a few clunky lines when she speaks, she talks to herself, which is like, well, show us, don't tell us. But I think that's just, this is your feature this is your debut feature film, so that's okay. But I thought that the young actress nailed it. I thought she was great. She was at once romantic and sassy and exasperating and just, you know, that the whole world is just boring. Everyone's a square. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I felt her tween angst. Um, so I thought she was very convincing. I thought Margaret was great. Hmm. What did you think? Um... I kind of loved it. Did you? What? Yeah. <laughs> I could not be more surprised. I'm, I would like to think that I went into it with an open mind, but I, I, I think honestly I had a bit of a reservation still because it, it's just, like you said, it's this movie that haunted me that I refused to watch. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think if I watched it as a teenage boy, I would have hated it. Almost definitely. Yeah. But no, I was, definitely. I was really won over by it for all the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit about uh, the way that it's, the, the elements are set up that I was uh, I was also worried that it was going to be like an academic paper about um, uh, about the differences between uh, the U.S. and Canada, or oh, even about like the yeah. filmmaking industries between the, the filmmaking industries yeah. in the U.S. and Canada. That I thought this might be like a, like a metaphor on film or something like that. Well, one of the first lines in the movie is when Butch pulls up. Uh, the mom says, oh, that car, it's so American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he is so, he is so, Butch is is so uh, mimicking like the James Dean. Oh, yeah. Even his name, Butch, like what yeah. if he was a Greg or a Tommy? <laughs> yeah. But he's a Butch, which is just so perfectly American mm-hmm. of that time. Yeah. Real American graffiti type mm-hmm. of stuff. You yeah. know, your Butches and your Chets and your Chips, which... I don't know anyone in Canada named Butch, Chet, or Chip. It feels like such an American thing yeah. to have those kind of nicknames. Yeah. And so with him in his white tank top and the red car, and so there's your like iconic American teen versus Margaret and her family. There's like, and they have six kind of bland looking children. <laughs> yeah. um, so it, you know, and then the parents drive like their old station wagon. So it does, it does feel like it is making this comparison between like flashy, America versus uh, kind of, um, you know, a little slightly more economically sensible Canada. Um, so I was worried that it was just going to be this, uh, this treatise about, um, uh, about the differences. But right. it overcomes that. Yeah. And I think uh, I was really surprised that Butch 
kind of showed that he was his own character and that he was going through a thing. That he's a horny guy, but uh, but he wasn't. He also wasn't one-dimensional. Um, no. I, I, so I thought there was a lot going on with him. Uh, so he was interesting. Uh, then I thought um, I thought Shirley Darling was really interesting. And that was a character that I thought would be a throwaway character. I thought it would just be like this, the, the bombshell character that uh, that leads uh, Butch into trouble. But they go for a ride and they have a long talk. And uh, I think that's really interesting that, you know, she has a certain attitude about relationships and about sex because of where she's grown up. But you can see in her performance that, well, you know, she's she's kind of questioning, well, you know, maybe I do want to just have some fun. And, and I think so I think everything that's going on uh, just feels... Uh, really well, well developed and uh, and 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 real. Yeah, I really thought that Shirley would also be just sort of the icy beauty queen with no with no depth. And there's a real thoughtfulness to when she's sort of making out with Butch, but then says, "I don't go all the way because I'm saving myself for marriage." And then she says, and she doesn't change her mind. I don't think they go all the way, but then she says, "I'm not even engaged yet." You know, like, what, what am I doing? Mm. I'm, I'm already living a life that hasn't even happened yet. So I have to behave in this way even though, wait a second, I'm not even, there's not even a ring on my finger yet. I'm already acting like kind of like an old married lady in a way. So I liked that uh, people were surprising. Mm. <laughs> I like when Butch says to um, her young friends, listen, I don't want to hurt your feelings. But you're all ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, ends up kissing one of them anyways. Yeah. Oh, kissing actually two of them by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. But Right. Well, also that uh, that sort of same um, sequence. Uh, so, uh, so Butch reluctantly agrees to, to take uh, Sandra and her friends for a ride. Um, and, uh, and, he's, and so they find an earring in, in his backseat. And and he says, uh, "Oh, that's um, I forget her name, but uh, do you remember who's who it belonged to? The earring, Mm-mm. anyway." But he says, "Oh, that's uh, that's so and so's. She lost it on prom night." And the girls immediately go uh, and assume like, "Oh, that he means she lost her virginity." Right? So <laughs> I thought that was really funny that the girls are their mindset is already like ahead oh, yeah. of, of what he wants to talk about. <laughs> so. And that I mean. You could look at it through the lens of a 2018 person and say, oh, it's creepy that this teenager is hanging out with these tweens. But I think because I have been a 12-year-old girl, you are already three years ahead of boys. Hmm. Like 12-year-old boys still play like war in, you know, in the neighborhood and pretend they have guns and ack-ack each other. And, you know, 12-year-old boys still play with G.I. Joe. 12-year-old girls are wearing makeup talking about their periods, and they are ready to kiss boys. Not all of them. But when you're 12, you are on the precipice of maturation, and boys are generally two or three years behind. Hmm. So in grade 8, you want to date boys in grade 10 because they're there, and boys in your grade are not there yet. Hmm. So it isn't creepy, I think, that Butch is older than Sandy and her friends because I think it makes sense not in calendar years, but in maturity. Not that Sandy's, you know, the mm-hmm. epitome of maturity. She is a tween. Mm-hmm. But I think her longings all make sense to me, and they don't seem advanced for her age. And I think uh, there's a moment that 
that that's revealed early on when uh, when Butch says, "How old are you?" Because he's, he's want, he wants to make sure before he yeah. starts uh, <laughs> going there, right? and her response is, "How old do you think I am?" Yeah, because she doesn't want to show her cards. She wants no. to, oh, yeah, this might maybe you know, I might have a chance yeah. here, right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, that was yeah one of those moments that like for that character, it just felt like that sounds right. That's I understand why that character says that. And I like that Sandy doesn't fawn all over Butch. Like it's obvious that she thinks he's the coolest thing that has ever happened to Penticton. But she's also kind of, you're supposed to open the door for me. Mom says the boys are supposed to, like, she's kind of a shithead, which I like. So it's not just fawning adoration for this super cool, super cute guy. She's still kind of, she's still kind of a brat, and I like that, because mm-hmm. that's what you would be as a, as a 12-year-old girl, even if you're trying to get the attention of a cute boy. She's still a brat, which I like, and kind of, Fierce and independent. Now, because uh, so it's set somewhere in the 50s, 59, I think. And because it's in the country, I guess they don't, they didn't have to try too hard to get all the period detail right. But I mean, there's enough to, from like the old automobiles uh, to some of the like store signage, there's enough to, to make it feel like it's, it's Man, there. Penticton has not changed. Mm. I was on the SS Sycamus four months ago, which is the boat that you see, the paddle wheel boat in the background when Butch is talking to um, Shirley, mm-hmm. they're by a tree, and you can see the SS Sycamus in the background. And now it's a little museum that you can pay five bucks and walk around. It's very cute. The peach is still there. The beach looks the same. The, the main town looks the same. Like, Penticton has not changed, one, since 1985 when Sandy shot it. It also has not changed probably since 52 or whenever this movie is set, mm-hmm. um, which I think is what happens in small towns. Not that there isn't development and housing projects going up, but that main strip in Penticton that everyone goes to in the summertime, that beach, it looks exactly the same. Do they have any monuments to my American cousin there? No, I'm surprised there's oh. not like a cute little, like a little walking tour or something mm, that says, oh, okay. this is where this was shot. I mean, obviously the peach is, everyone knows the peach, but... Um, Mm-hmm. Have you been to the peach? Uh, no. I didn't stop there for long. It just, um, yeah. Well, it's too bad because, um, you know, Hope BC endures <laughs> as, as, um, as the place. You drew that... First Blood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the place where uh, First Blood was shot. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, background detail. So in the family home, um, in, the, in the scene where um, uh, Sandra and her mom are talking, uh, there's a calendar and the picture on the on their wall calendar is of a cherry picker. So, <laughs> so I can I can understand uh, Sandra's frustration that nothing happens here. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sandy uh, had to film it in the summertime because it had to be cherry season. Mm-hmm. So she actually had to film in Penticton in usually it's like the first week of July to the third week of July, and there's a scene when. Sandra's in the kitchen with her mom, and you can see the sweat. And so I don't know if that's getting spritzed by, you know, the prop department, or if it's just like, it would be hot as blazes in Penticton in July. It'd be like 38 degrees. And you've got the film lights and all of that. So I don't know if that was real sweat or not, but it must have been a little harrowing to shoot in Penticton in July. Mm-hmm. But she had to because of the the cherry trees. Mm-hmm. So some of the compositions um, that uh, Sandy Wilson puts together, uh, the mise-en-scene of it, 
if, if I can uh, uh, quote from my SFU studies professors. <gasps> wait, wait. So she does a lot of like wide shots where characters are, are moving through the frame and there's a voiceover. And um, that for me felt like it was a little bit less polished than, um, than if it was done by a more experienced director. Like, Do you mean like more of an ADR type of thing? Mm-hmm. Like when they're going down the trail... Yes, yeah, that okay. that was one t- one time especially, yeah, where it just it it I wasn't convinced that the conversation was happening at the same time as the scene, right? Yeah, and I think that's just, uh, just that you know the the the, the crew wasn't experienced enough to get that looking right. Um, right. But I can I can I can see that the inspiration for doing that would have come from like European cinema and like this idea of like long takes and and uh, and that kind of thing. So I I yeah I applaud the effort. It, it just didn't quite work there. Right. But then I do like when she does um, like some of her interior scenes and the way that she uses the entire set in the in the frame. Um, there's uh, an example where um, like Sandra's getting chewed up by her parents because they went for a long car ride and, and the parents didn't know that they were going to be gone for the whole day. So, so Butch and uh, Sandra are sitting in the foreground and the parents are... Uh, are facing them, facing the camera. And so when they move, um, like Butch, when he leaves the room, he goes off to uh, left of frame and 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 the, the camera just pans a little bit, but it's all captured where he goes out the door and you can see his action outside. And then on the other side of the frame, there's, uh, there, there's Sandra like, eavesdropping from the hallway uh, and that's all like contained in the, in the blocking for the scene. And I just like that, I just like that it was, they were occupying the space fully in that in that manner. It's almost like you know, the movie Birdman or something like that. Takes some really precise choreography to hit your mark and to be captured, like to make all of that happen in that finite amount of space, like a play. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like the like the, the economy of space in in as if it was like a stage production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you just had to be at a certain at a certain place and and be seen by the camera. Uh, so I think all of that really uh, was executed well. There's the, there's that part on the beach when uh, Sandra and her friends uh, go for the ride with Butch and uh, and then Butch starts to make the moves on her friends and, and Sandra's kind of disgusted so she goes in the water but in the background she's she's going into the water and she's she's having this uh, um, she's kind of uh, making comments to them sarcastically from the water while Butch is having a conversation in the foreground so again that I think I just I just uh, really love it when a filmmaker uh, makes the frame feel really deep. Like there's there's stuff going on beyond the foreground. Yeah, it's not just yeah. two talking heads in a in a close up. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not uh, like building scene up coverage. It's like composing it in in the camera, and I like that. So it certainly um, the exteriors. It was so beautiful. Like the lake looked gorgeous. The vista from the Wilcox's house uh, across, you know, what I think is like the Naramata bench or something. I don't know, but. Man, what a beautiful part of the world. I feel fortunate that just last summer I went to the Okanagan for the first time. And so uh, so I did enjoy you know, seeing the lake and, and, uh, and this uh, countryside that, that was a bit familiar for me. Um, when you live in a rainforest, when you go to a climate like that, it feels mm-hmm. so radically different. It's very exotic mm, to go to yeah. a desert, I think, that's five hours away from where we live. Well, I thought it was funny where um, Butch is driving and, and, and Sandra's a bit 
um, I forget what the conversation was, but she's a little bit restless, and 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 Butch says like, just calm down, and enjoy the scenery, because for him, like this looks yeah, gorgeous. it actually looks beautiful. Yeah, and she's like, what what scenery? This is the same stuff that I've seen yeah. there you know, all the time. <laughs> It's like when I lived in Victoria, I was like, I can't get out of here fast enough. And now that I go back and visit, I'm like, could it be more charming? Oh, look at these little (laughs) shops. Oh, my God, it has a little courtyard behind this area. Like I now I think it's lovely. But when Mm -hmm. you're a kid, you're just like, oh, it's for old people. It's so provincial. I can't wait to get out. (laughs) Did you notice during the um, the teen dance that it was called Dominion Day and not Canada Day? Yeah, right. And I don't know if that is like a Pierre Trudeau thing. And I don't know when we became Canada Day and not Dominion Day. Do you have any historical? I don't know for sure. Hmm. But does it does it have anything to do with the fact that we didn't have our own constitution until 82? Oh, geez. Maybe. Hmm. So smart, William. I might have made that up. No one listens, so I can, I can say anything. <laughs> right? No one knows anything yeah. about Canadian history right. or politics. I mean, so you know, you women, make it up. women didn't start voting in Canada until 2011. So, Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they won the right to vote uh, because of the Olympics. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, I did think it was kind of sweet, and they didn't overplay it, but to show the differences between Canada and America, that we just feel so much more British, mm. so much more uptight, so much more bashful, uh, even just the the tea versus coffee. Like, I think the mom, once the aunt and uncle come from California to pick up Butch, uh, Sandy Sandra's mom offers them tea, and Butch's mom says, what is it with tea? Don't they have coffee? <laughs> so we just, we have this real sort of colonial Britishness Mm -hmm. about us here in Canada that you wouldn't have in the Old West, you know, like California is so radically different than anywhere in Canada. Now, I want to get to that scene when Butch's parents come to collect him. Um, So it's established that they're coming from California, but did they make mention of why the father has such like a strong Texan accent? No. Anyway, it just it seemed a bit weird to me that he was he was clearly a Texan, but they came from California. I mean, that's fine if he just if he moved, but um, but I also wondered if it was just like, did the producers say like, well, we need him to be super American, and so right, yeah. and that's what we identify as super American. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you catch in that conversation with Butch's parents that Butch may have gotten there was suggestion that he may have gotten a girl pregnant? Yeah. But it ended up that she was just late. And the dad says that out loud. Again, if that conversation happened in Canada in the 1950s, I don't know who would have been saying it. Like it would have been coded in such heavy... Do you think... Did did it uh, seem uh, inauthentic for you? Uh, No. uh, To me, it also demonstrated the difference between that American slightly vulgar (laughs) compared to super repressed Canadians. So though it seems like a pretty frank thing to say, and maybe he's just saying it so we, the audience, understand, Mm. it didn't seem out of character for someone American to say something so crass and shocking. Okay. (laughs) But if it was Sandra's mother explaining something, it would have been so, again, just very provincial and proper. Like, she's no longer in her time of confinement, or like just something so yeah. ridiculous. 
So Sandy Wilson made a follow-up movie called American Boyfriends. Have you seen that? No, but can we watch it? We can. All right. Okay. All right. I, I want to. Sure. Let's 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 follow it. Let's follow up and uh, and see what happened to uh, Sandra Wilcox. Yeah. Uh, we'll put that on our uh, viewing roster for the next year, for this year. Uh, another thing about the dance. You talked a little bit about having a, a little flavor of European filmmakers, and we don't know what Wilson was watching to inspire her for her debut. But there's a scene where we're at the dance and we're just going from sort of two heads to two heads to two heads dancing. Mm. And it seemed almost like they shoot horses, don't they? The Sidney Lumet movie like it, or Sidney Pollock movie. It just seems so real, like you're seeing the pores and the pimples and everyone's not sort of gauzy and beautiful and we're just hearing snippets of conversation. So it really felt, it actually felt like they shoot horses, don't they? Just for this brief 45-second pan shot of teens dancing. It was just very European to me. And it really stood out as uh, doing something interesting. Mm, okay. Trying it on. Right. I've not seen that movie, so um, I'll take your word for it. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's real grim. Oh. Oh, yeah. It's oh, okay. really fantastic, but it's very heavy. Uh, well. The mom says to Sandra, boys are like buses. If you miss one, another one will be along before you know it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's the loss of innocence for Sandra's character is, I didn't get that boy, but it always feels like that is the only boy. That's the boy. Sure. So even if your mom tells you they're like buses, there'll be another one. But this is the one I'm in love with. <laughs> so your first heartbreak, mm -hmm. you always remember who that was. It, it's interesting that Sandra plays it pretty cool, even though we can tell like she is, she's hard. She's, um, she's very heavily crushing on Butch. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and it's obvious that her parents can see that too. But she plays it cool. Um, and uh, she, she always kind of couches it in like I'm just running away I'm following your lead I'm running away yeah. she's not saying let's run away together necessarily she's not saying let's be together as a couple she's just saying like I want to follow your example and run away um, and and then when that moment when Butch jokes about um, about Jerry Lewis um, uh, marrying someone who is his cousin right hey, that's like you and I getting married and she's like oh no way gross yeah, yeah. so I mean <laughs> so um, again I think it's right for the character that she just she's too cool to admit it but she's Definitely feeling these feelings, right? I don't want to. I don't want to spoil the details of, of the closing moments, but um, yeah, when I I think I knew I loved this movie when it got there because it just it was it was really playing out right. The uh, not that it was satisfying the viewer, it was, but it was like it felt like this is the right place for everything to go, and and how it it denies the character. That that last chance to uh, to make a play for for what's at stake and just like oh you know just out of your grasp um, I just felt like it it just those scenes um, felt like it was uh, really full of um, this uh, this real emotion of of uh, first love and lost chances and um, and if it had ended maybe two minutes earlier. With a stronger visual, um, I think I think it um, maybe 
would feel like it's more iconic in terms of right. of, of those kinds of um, first love coming of age movies. But it has like a code at the end, which I think works fine. It just kind of, I don't mean to say it this way, but um, it almost loses its strength in the last couple of minutes because it just doesn't, it doesn't quite finish on the strongest note. But I think it's, but it feels right almost that it is not as emotionally devastating as uh, as you might expect this kind of story to go. Um, right. So because, like I said, Sandra plays it cool. Uh, maybe the movie is also saying like, hey, you know, it's, it's, it was not that big of a thing. Yeah, I found the ending um, satisfying. I mean, it's obviously not no one puts baby in a corner or the final scene of Call Me By Your Name, which, mm. oh my God. Mm. Whew, wow. Uh, but you can still feel the tug of first love lost. Mm. Oh, uh, well, it won six awards at the Genies, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Editing. So wow. for, for your debut feature, how goddamn exciting is that? So Great, great achievement. Great achievement. So I'm very curious. I would really like to watch um, American Boyfriends and just see what happened next. Hmm. Not necessarily with the characters, but I'm kind of curious about the filmmaker to see where she went next. Okay. I think it's easy to be, to tell your own story easier. Uh, I was reading about her showing up on set in Penticton and her DP said, uh, or her first AD said, so where's your binder? The binder that has your script in it. And she's like, well, I have the script in my head. I don't need the binder. Like she did not know how to make a feature film. There was only two crews in BC at that time. Mm. Uh, so it was a lot of friends and family helping out. Mm. So I think if it was if she was doing a science fiction movie, she would have had to have been sort of schooled in how to make a movie, how to make a shot list, how to storyboard. But because she's making such a personal thing, I think it was a forgiving way to have a, a debut feature. Mm. So I'm curious as to what the next picture would be because... Sometimes if you don't know what you don't know, you have a real advantage. Going into the second feature, I'm just curious of how it would look, how it would feel. Mm -hmm. Would it be more polished? Yeah. I don't know. Well, I also thought it was interesting that um, this movie was released by MGM. So uh, like you said, it's a, a first feature. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a small Canadian story um, uh, distributed by a major studio. So like it, it caught the right person's eye, or was MGM just like taking chances on small films at the time? Well, they also did Strange Brew. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they must have had a little arm that did yeah. like we do zero point eight percent Canadian movies out yeah. of our uh, complete roster huh. or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you ready to rate this against something? Yeah. Now I'm tempted to rate it against Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was thinking it might be more appropriate to uh, compare it against something like Call Me By Your Name. Which you haven't seen yet. Well, I've seen, didn't we see it together? No, we didn't see no, it No, I saw it with... Uh... No, I've seen Call Me By Your Name. Oh, okay. Who hasn't seen Call Me By Your Name? Uh, you haven't I... seen Suspiria. No, I haven't. Or I Am Love. I know. Or A Bigger Splash. Yeah. Shame <laughs> on me. Shame on me. So do you, want, do you think Call Me By Your Name? What were you thinking? Well, what if you did like a boy version and you did Stand By Me, like a boy's coming of age story? But Call Me By Your place. Name is a boy's version. 
uh, Stand By Me takes place in the 50s, as does this one. Yeah. That's Which makes me want to make one comment about the music. Okay. When I was listening to it, I'm like, holy shit, how did she have the budget to get all this copyrighted music? Right. And the lead singer of the Powder Blues Band, which if you're Canadian, you've, they've been played at the Yale. You've heard of them. Surely you've heard of them, right? Powder Blues Band? No. What? Okay. Should I have? You tell yeah, me a question. Yeah, they're everywhere. Okay. They've been around forever. So the guy who's the lead of the Powder Blues Band basically did all of the music. So if it was Little Richard, he sounded like Little Richard. If it was, um, you know, any of the other kind of swoony ballads, he was doing it. Oh. So they, they aren't the originals. Are they playing at the Dominion Day concert? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, because it was like, a, I thought, it, oh my God, this is like American graffiti when it comes to soundtracks. But I think because it's not the originals, maybe it's not as expensive to buy right. Because the yeah, they're, they're not paying for uh, a copyrighted piece. They're just paying right. for the right to re-record it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Well, with, with Stand By Me, I it is a um, coming-of-age movie, but it's also like a boy's adventure type thing. That's right. It's not yeah. a romance. Why don't we just do both of them, like in, in terms of um, ways to categorize this? So let's let's compare it with Call Me By Your Name and, and again, Stand By Me. Okay. Sure. You go first. Or no, you go first because okay. I often I get would, confused by this rating All right, system. all right. <laughs> so My American Cousin is a Call Me By Your Name minus one. Ooh. And um, because they're a little bit different, I guess um, maybe it's um, a Stand By Me minus two for me. Jeez. Um, call Me By Your Name is one of the most beautiful movies I've seen in a couple decades. So that movie is very close to my heart. So My American Cousin doesn't quite reach that level of, um, doesn't move me in a profound a way as Call Me By Your Name. So that means that My American Cousin would be, would it be minus four to Call Me By Your Name and Stand By Me would be minus two. I highly recommend this movie. Yeah. I had a lot of fun watching it. Makes me want to go to Penticton again. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it immensely. And uh, thanks for recommending it. I hope uh, hope other people will hear this and also check it out. Me too. Yeah. All right, then it uh, is available at the Vancouver Public Library if you aren't able to get it on any streaming services. I got it at the Burnaby Public Library. Well, did you yeah. now? And hmm. um, I say so you should probably ask uh, at our friends uh, at Black Dog Video too. They probably have it in their right. collection. So uh, yeah, do find it. Give it a shot. Absolutely. You might fall in love with it. Uh, all right. Until next time. Uh, thanks, William. That was really fun. Indeed it was, Chris. 2019 is going to be the year of movies. <laughs>